Our text this morning is in Romans chapter 1. If you want to turn there, page 939 in your pew Bible, if you want to follow along. And the children who are here are dismissed, if you'd like to go on to your service this morning. We're continuing on in the book of Romans this morning as we've been walking through this book and uh, have spent several weeks in the introduction here, several weeks getting the heart of Paul as he is going to address the Romans with some of the most weighty texts of Scripture in all of the Bible. We're anticipating walking into that as we will in a few weeks, but We continue to reside now in this introduction. And uh, as we look at it again, we're going to read together, beginning at verse 14, these words. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. Again, we see Paul's heart. Again, we get a glimpse of how he felt for the Romans And that's what we've been walking through in these last weeks. And this morning, he uses the words, the terms, he says, I am under obligation. And we want to look specifically at what that means. What what did Paul mean when he said, I am under obligation to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish? What does it mean? What does Paul mean when he talks about Obligation. Now, certainly it had to do with his obligation of being an apostle. That was part of it. He was chosen to be an apostle. He was one of that select few of the apostles in the early church. But it was more than that. It was more than just his apostleship. It was, it was declaring and heralding the gospel of God to the Gentiles, to the nations, which I think puts us right in the middle of that. We are not apostles here today. There are no more apostles, but we are Christians today. And we too have, I think, an obligation, just as Paul had, to declare that gospel of God, to herald that gospel of God to the nations. That's really what he's talking about here. I want to break it down into four different ways, four different things that I think that obligation centered around here in this text this morning. It's an obligation, first of all, it's an obligation, first of all, because you and I who name the name of Christ, you and I have something to give. That obligation entails the fact that we possess something that we can give and should give and need to give. That's one of the characters, one of the foundational points of of that obligation. If he had nothing to share, nothing to give, then the obligation would be gone and the obligation wouldn't rest on us. But we do have something to give. The very definition, the very definition of a Christian is that they have something in their possession that they can pass on to others. You have something in your possession if you're a Christian today that you can, in fact, impart to others. It entails two different things about that thing that you have. First of all, you know something. You know something that can be communicated to others if you're a Christian. You have a knowledge to pass on to them. 
The second thing is you have an experience, an experience that you've experienced that allows you to pass that on. So it's knowledge and experience. I think it's what Peter meant in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, at least the knowledge part of it when he said this, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. It is a knowledge that we possess about a hope that we have, a knowledge of that hope that we have to pass on. It also, I think, has to do with experience. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago when we used the text in Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 to make the point when Paul was talking about these who had been called to belong to Jesus Christ and are loved by God. We went to the text of what that looks like. What's it look like to be called by God and to be loved by God in the way that Paul addressed the Romans? And the text that we went to that morning was 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 that illustrates it. This is what it says. The scripture says, For God who said, God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. He spoke that in creation. Let light shine out of darkness. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If you're a Christian today, God has shown a light in your heart to help you to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what happened to me in 1973, that high school auditorium, that God said, let there be light, and light shone in my heart And I saw the glory of God, though dimly there, I saw it. I got a glimpse of it and how it centered in Christ and came to life in Christ. That's the picture of how it happens. So of of a glory, let let me talk about that glory, man. What, What is that glory? What is that glory that God shines in our hearts for us to see? It has lots of dimensions. We could go on and on about it. But let me share three this morning. First of all, it's the glory of Christ who became fully man. The glory of God in Christ who became fully man. In this particular text earlier, we had, we had read that where it says that, um, concerning his son, this, this gospel concerning his son in verse three, who was descended from David according to the flesh. One of the, One of the glories of God that God shines in our heart is that, the glory of God in the face of Christ and the fact that he entered this world fully man some 2,000 years ago. And he entered in, as we said then, to die. The reason he came as a man and God, both fully God, fully man, though now, was so he could die. So he could be that final sacrifice that makes perfect forever those who have their faith in him. Perfect forever. Make that final atonement that needed to be made that they cried out in the Old Testament for. It centered in what he did as he came in the flesh. That's glorious, folks. That's glorious. I hope you see it as glorious. It's the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
It's the glory that God shines into our hearts to see, to see and experience both. It's both, to see and experience. We also, I think, see the glory of Christ and it shines in our heart when we begin to understand that it's this Christ, this one who was fully God and fully man, who on the cross, when he was making that final atonement, declared, it is finished. It's finished. It's all done. It's all cared for. That atonement has been made. And it's enough. It's enough. One of the things that God shows into our hearts, I think, when we see the glory of God in the face of Christ, is we we hear the words, it's enough. It's enough. It does make atonement. No more has to be done for that atonement to have effect for me and for you who believe. Christ finished the work. That's what we have to share. We have the fact we share. He came in the flesh to die, but he came in the flesh to die to make atonement, and that atonement is enough. You see what we have to share? We have something to share if we're a Christian Something glorious to share. In fact, as we talked about earlier in this, Paul heralded that gospel of God. We are to herald the gospel of God to the world. That gospel that goes on to say more. We can say more, can't we? That glory of God that he's shown in our hearts in the face of Christ also is about the the double exchange that happened between us and Christ, the experience that literally happened between his work and our lives, the double exchange. You know what it is, don't you? We've talked about it a lot. Second Corinthians chapter 5, just a little farther on, after it talks about the light shining in our hearts to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, it goes on, Paul goes on to write to the Corinthians, for our sake... For our sake, he made Christ, him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You hear that double exchange? He made him, Christ, to be sin. He took our sin. In exchange for our sin, he gives us what his death accomplished. He gives us a righteousness that is not ours, but his. He dresses us. We sang about it this morning. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. That's what the double exchange is about. Our sin is gone. His righteousness has come. It covers us. Folks, the reason Paul said, I am under obligation is because he had something that he could share, and so do you. You have something to share if you're a Christian. It's what what the beginning of that obligation looks like. It's something you know needing to be heralded. Now, think for a minute. This is illustrated better by another than myself. So this this isn't an original illustration of this, but it's powerful. 
Just, just imagine, just imagine this, that you have a friend that, that you find out tomorrow is desperately ill, a close friend that's desperately ill. And in fact, they are so desperately ill that they probably won't live until Tuesday. They will die tomorrow. And suppose that friend has, has had an awakening in his soul to eternity and what's going to happen after the grave. And, and you know he's not a Christian. He doesn't profess to be a Christian. He doesn't have the hope of the gospel in his life. But suddenly he thinks about you. In fact, he thinks about you so much that he asks his family to call you because he knows you are a Christian and he wants you to come and gather at his bedside. And you consent to do it. And so tomorrow, sometime, you're there. You're standing over his bedside. What do you do? What do you do? What do you say? What do you say? I hope you don't rest on the fact that God's changed you a bit, cleaned up your life a bit. You're walking out in the obedience of faith and you just think your goodness somehow is going to rub off on him in that time. It'd be pretty foolish, wouldn't it? Just because... God has changed some things. It's not going to help him a whole lot. I hope that you don't just tell him to seek God. Just seek him. He can be found. He doesn't have much time to seek him. He doesn't need somebody to tell him to seek God. He needs somebody to herald the gospel to him. He needs somebody who has something to share with him to share it. He needs to hear that Jesus came in the flesh to die, to be an atonement. He needs to hear that as he made that atonement, he cried out, it's finished because the atonement was fully accomplished. He needs to hear, in fact, it was accomplished to the degree to which he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness if we will trust him to do that. You see, he needs us to tell him something we possess. And you do, if you're a Christian. You do possess that. And you need to possess it in a way that if that happens tomorrow, that's what you tell him, or something like that. You tell him. You herald the gospel of Christ to them. You herald the gospel of Christ. Just stop and think about it. If, if you're a believer, if you're a believer here today, you have, I think, what Paul meant, an obligation, an obligation to share with that friend what you know. The second thing is, 
that obligation entails not only that we have something to share. That's what Christianity is. It's, it's something that has happened in our life. It's not something we're trying to obtain. It has happened. It has happened. We are either united to Christ or we are not. We are either come to life or we have not. But the second thing is we can offer it to anybody and everybody. There's no limits to who we can offer that to and tell that to. There's no limit. doesn't matter who calls you tomorrow. It doesn't matter. Whoever it is, he can be an arch enemy. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It is something we can offer to anybody who calls us, anybody who asks us for the hope that we have, that we possess. Paul wrote it this way in verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. What's that mean? In a nutshell, what that means is to the learned and the unlearned. The Greek represented the learned. The barbarian, that, that word has a harsher tone for us than it did then, to, to the unlearned, because he goes on to say the wise and the foolish. It has to do with those of Greek culture and those who weren't cultured in Greek culture, and the Romans were cultured in Greek culture. It was an all-encompassing statement. Everyone all nationalities, all social stratas, all races, all economic levels, all educational levels. It doesn't matter. Whoever calls you tomorrow, you can offer it to them. No one is excluded from the offer. No one. No one. The gospel is not only for certain people. You hear that? It's not just for certain people. Greeks, non-Greeks, wise, foolish, everybody, Paul is declaring, I have, a, I have an obligation to. Now think about this for a minute. If this has ever happened to you, if it's ever occurred in your life, have you ever saw, witnessed somebody or run into somebody and said, if they were just a Christian, if they were just a Christian, what good they could do for the world. They were just a believer. That is one of the most dangerous statements and thought patterns that you could ever have in your life in regards to this text. Some idea that there's a certain kind of person out there and they're the ones that I can share this with. What it does, it excludes all the rest. You don't look for all the rest. You don't really hear me when I say you can offer it to anybody and everybody. Because somehow there's hindrances in us, not in God's sight, but in us about who we can offer it to. Who we can offer it to. It's able to be offered to everybody. You have something, and everybody is eligible to hear it. Whoever calls you tomorrow, whoever asks you tomorrow or today, One has said it this way, culture, intelligence, and education do not qualify you for the gospel, for the gospel of grace. And being unrefined and uneducated 
and illiterate do not disqualify you from the gospel of grace. Neither one disqualify you from it. Neither one. In our eyes, sometimes we have hesitation because of them. We might get intimidated by the top bunch. I mean, they're intelligent, they're educated, they're cultured. So we get intimidated by them. Or we fall to the other side and they're unrefined and uneducated and illiterate and they'd never believe. See how it happens? You categorize people and so you limit who you share what you know with. And we ought never to do that. Paul didn't do that. Paul spoke at Athens and Mars Hill and Paul wrote to the Galatians. They were the other side of the fence, the other side of the tracks, if you will. To both, he shared with the same passion. To both, he heralded the gospel of God's grace. There are no qualifications. Hear this. There are no qualifications for grace. If you think there are qualifications for grace, you don't understand grace. You don't understand it. They all need it. Greeks, barbarians, wise and unwise. Because, my third point, I've already said it, everyone Everyone needs what we have to give. We have something to give. Anybody who calls us, we should give it to. Because everybody, everybody needs it. We are going to spend months, maybe years, in a couple of chapters. We're going to be in one, two, and three for a long time. So buckle your seatbelt. And and it's going to get heavy. I'm just going to say right now, it is going to get heavy. In fact, we're going to take some breaks because it's going to get really heavy. We're going to take some breaks for for Advent and for Easter and some other places, just, just because we need to get out of the heaviness a little bit. Because as we turn the corner and begin in verse 18 of chapter 1, it just gets really, really heavy. Until you come to text like this in chapter 3, where it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear before their eyes goes on to say, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone needs the message you have. Everyone. Everyone needs it. There is no one. That's, that's what those chapters Just keep pounding again and again and again. There is no one, no one righteous. And therefore, all are candidates for a righteousness that comes from God. Not only candidates, but they desperately need it. They desperately need it. God help us. Every mouth, every mouth will be stopped because... There is nothing that can be said. 
that would say, I deserve grace. I deserve grace. It is God's grace, and grace does not something we deserve. Well, and finally, we come to this. Number four. We have something to share. Everyone needs to hear it because everyone has a deep need. And finally, again, I say we're obligated to share it. It's not optional. It's not optional. We are obligated. Just as Paul was obligated, so are we. So are we. What does Paul mean now by being a debtor? Now look, look at the text. Go back to the text. He's a debtor. But he's a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians. How in the world would we be a debtor to the Greeks and barbarians? If Greeks and barbarians had not done anything or given Paul anything that would make him be a debtor to them. But he says, I'm a debtor to them. So in what way is he a debtor to them? Why does he feel that he's a debtor to them? Here's the reason. It's not because they have given him anything that puts him in their debt. It's not because they qualify for any reason for Paul to be in their debt, in fact. They have, they have no qualifications for Paul to be in their debt. It's not because they qualify, but it's rather because Paul did not qualify either. Do you get that? They don't qualify to be in Paul's debt, but Paul says, I'm a debtor to them. And the very reason he's a debtor to them is because Paul didn't qualify either for the grace that he received. It was freely given. You see, that's what grace is. And so Paul was in their debt because he didn't deserve it either. And that's what put him in their debt. When you really begin to understand that, it changes. Grace makes us a debtor to others who need grace just as they did. That's what the debtorship is about. So the question I close with this morning is this. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Paul did. Paul did. He, he believed he was a debtor to grace. His experience on Damascus Road, he was a debtor to grace. He was on his way. He was hell-bent, if you will, to destroy the church. And God intercepted him. Intercepted him. Which is what happens to us. Oh, we may not understand that in the beginning, but as you go on, you begin to realize how God intercepted. I thought about it again today as Terry's here, how God intercepted me, how he intercepted, how he worked in my life, how he intercepted me, how he drew me to himself. And if we don't understand that, if we don't understand grace, if we aren't overwhelmed by the grace of God in our lives, in fact, we don't deserve it, there was nothing in us that caught his attention any more than anybody who calls you tomorrow catches God's attention in that way, that something stands up a little higher. They, they'd really make a good Christian if they'd just become a Christian. That whole thought, nothing like that. That's the wrong road to go down. It's grace. It's 
God's grace in our lives. And if we don't get that, we will do one of two things to some degree. We will limit how much we share. We will limit what we have to give, how much we share it. We will limit that. Or we will make decisions about whom we should share it with in ways we shouldn't. We'll either limit how much we do it or we'll get picky about who we do it with to some degree, to some degree or another. And this is the reason. I close with this this morning. It's because if you withhold the good news of grace from others, it is as though, if I, let, me, let me put it this way, if I hold, withhold, if I withhold the good news of the grace of God from others, it is as though I think that I somehow were qualified for it and they were not. That I somehow, however subtly that might find its way in my heart, I subtly think I am qualified to a degree that they are not. Because what Paul meant when he said, I'm a debtor, is he realized he was not qualified and that's what put him in the debt to others who were not qualified. Gospel of God's grace If you know it, if you possess it, herald it. Herald it. Herald it so that we show the world that we really understand what grace is. We're going to sing together this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's stand together. My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But wholly trust in Jesus' name Christ alone Cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When He shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in Him be found Dressed in His righteousness alone Thoughtless to stand before the throne Christ alone, cornerstone Weak made strong In the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. 
through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you declared, let light shine in darkness. Let light shine in our hearts that we might see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And because we have, may we be as Paul, who says, I am under obligation to go to Greeks and non-Greeks, wise and unwise, to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in God's peace.